Welcome back to our Monday morning Tanya class. We'd like to thank Maxine for dedicating this morning's class in uh, loving memory of you know, her brother Mordechai Ben Nisan Hakayen. It should be uh, all of our learning should be to the merit of his neshama. Thank you very much, Maxine, for sponsoring today's class. We are up to chapter 12 of the Tanya, and it's been a while, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, Tanya is a journey, and uh, we can't just jump straight into where we left off, because we, uh, we need a bit of a refresher of where we're up to in the Tanya. So with the help of Hashem, I will provide just that. So for starters, what is our objective in this class? What are we looking to achieve? Why are we here? What does the Tanya give us? It's a tough question to answer because there's a lot. But it's a question that I ask myself every time I sit down to prepare the class. And I was thinking last night, or two nights ago, that the objective of the Tanya is for us to develop a holistic connection and relationship with Hashem. (coughs) That will motivate us to study his Torah and do more of his mitzvahs with excitement and to bring godliness and goodness into all areas of our lives and into the lives of other people that we encounter. So again, the objective of Tanya is to develop a holistic connection and relationship with Hashem. What do I mean by a holistic connection and relationship with Hashem, it means that we shouldn't feel that we don't relate or that we don't connect with Hashem in so many areas. We shouldn't feel that there's somewhat of a disconnect between uh, uh, us and Hashem and that we barely manage to find a connection in very limited areas. Rather... We strive to be able to relate and to connect in our minds and in our hearts and in the way that we uh, live our lives. So Tanya is about developing a relationship, but not just of developing a relationship, but developing a relationship that will actually motivate us and empower us to be able to live our lives better and to bring Hashem into our lives in the way that we act and into those that we encounter. And to achieve that is a big achievement. And that's why Tanya is a journey. But that's the general, I would, I would say, perhaps for today, that, that's the general objective of our study of the Tanya. Now, how do we achieve this objective? Well, the first eight chapters of the Tanya which are referred to as the anatomy of the souls by Rabbi Sheistal and his chart up there on the shelf for those of you at the back, describe who we are, how we have a godly soul and we have an animal soul. What are these two souls? They're not just the voice inside of me that says, do the right thing or do the wrong thing. We're not talking about the good and evil inclination. Rather, we're talking about two drives that exist within us, two worlds, two personalities So we're somewhat schizophrenic. 
We have one drive, one movement, one personality within us which is drawn towards godliness, which comes from the godly soul. And we have another soul which draws us towards materialism and towards selfishness. And the first eight chapters of the Tanya introduced us to these two parts of ourselves. But it was somewhat of just an introductory. It was somewhat giving us the lexicon and the uh, familiarity of, of what's there. But how do we operate our systems? In the last few chapters, in chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12, we describe how these two souls operate within us. It's very important to mention that a fundamental uh, concept in Hasidus is that we want to have both souls on board. If we were just talking about the good or evil inclination, then it's a matter of getting rid of the bad and instead focusing on the good. This is not the Hasidic approach. Sometimes that's necessary, but it's not the general approach. The general approach is that this is not a good and a bad soul. It's rather a godly soul and a selfish soul. And both of them can and should be involved in our day-to-day -day life. And even in our relationship with Hashem. So we want to have both souls on board. But that said, there will always be one leader, one boss, one, one soul that is calling the shots, one soul that is in the driver's seat, in whatever, in whatever area it may be. So yes, we want to have both our godly soul and our selfish soul on board, but the challenge is to get the godly soul to be the driver, to be the, the leader, to be the one that calls the shots. What does this mean in very practical terms? Let's take, for example, the mitzvah of tzedakah, or of chesed, being kind to somebody. That could come from our godly soul, or it could come from our animal soul. If it comes from our godly soul, it's about simply caring for the other person with no personal benefit, with no personal gain. This is what God wants. It's the right thing to do. If it's coming from our animal soul, then it's motivated by, it's, it's for my own benefit. Like I remember seeing a, a sign at a train station in Melbourne, Australia, and it struck me. It's funny how it struck me the wrong way, because I think back, it so could have struck me the right way, but it said, do a favor for somebody because someday it will come back to you. And I was so disappointed by the sign. That's why you should do a favor, because it will come back to you. But the sign was right, because sometimes we're talking to our animal within us, our selfish side, and that could be our motivation. That do it because you'll benefit in the long run. It will be to your own benefit. You'll develop a a character of, of, of kindness by sharing. So forget about the person that you're actually helping or whatever. I don't know if I care about him. I don't care about him. I'll become a more 
kind person by giving to him. These are all examples of how the animal within us can actually motivate us to a mitzvah. The challenge is to get the godly soul in the driver's seat. What does that mean? It means that in this particular example of kindness, we don't want the kindness to come or be dictated or conditioned by the animal soul. Because if the reason we're being kind is because that's what's good for me, then this time it is good for me, but soon it might not be good for me. Rather, we'd like it to be motivated by the godly soul where it's the right thing to do whether I benefit or I don't benefit. Whether it's for my good or for my bad, it's the right thing to do. But now let me talk to the animal in me as well and, and convince him that this is in his, in, 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 in his interest as well. So this is a little example of how we want both souls on board, but we want the godly soul to be the driver. This is the discussion of chapters 9 through 12. It's understanding now that we were introduced to the two souls within us, it's understanding who is in control and how do we get both of them on board. Chapter 9 focused on the fact that it's a battlefield. Why is it a battlefield? Because only one can be in the driver's seat at any given point. You can't have two buses. So there is a continuous battle of who is ultimately calling the shot. Who is driving me? Is it the godly soul within me or the animal soul within me? At any particular moment, for me to ask myself, what is the engine behind whatever is being done or whatever is being felt? Is it coming from a godly place or from a selfish place? And that's a battle. There's an there's a inner battle within us of control. Each of the two souls wants to control us. And when I talk about controlling us, we're complex. There are many parts to us. Yes. So does it really matter who's in control as long as we're doing the right thing? So let's say we live a whole life <clears throat> where it's the animal soul in control, but we're doing good stuff. It's like telling us to give stuff, etc., etc. So it doesn't matter. So it comes for selfish reasons. I want to be a good person, etc. Really I don't believe that that <coughs> phenomenon is possible. Meaning, if we are motivated by just selfish motivations, we are not always going to be doing the right thing. If somebody is living their whole life and always doing the right thing, then it means that they clearly are not being driven by the animal soul. It means that the godly soul is actually in the driver's seat. We'll speak more specifically about that in a moment. Okay. So chapter 9 describes the battlefield, the battle of the souls, each of the two souls wanting to be the driver of our lives. But as I just mentioned, we're complex. There are different areas of our life. And really the question that you've asked is spot on, that, you know, is it possible that our driver is the animal soul and we're only doing the right thing? And the answer to that is actually a little bit more sophisticated because... You're describing a phenomena where it's all about me, yet I'm only doing the right thing. How is that possible? It is possible. How is it possible? Because there are two areas in our life. Ideally, we should be so, we should have this 
whole saint-like uh, uh, phenomena where everything in our life is all in sync and it's all driven by the godly soul. But chapter 12, which we're learning today, describes a phenomena where there are actually two departments and one department is being run by the godly soul and another department is being run by the animal soul. Let me explain. I mean, in a country, you could have one city that's being controlled by the DA and another city that's being controlled by the ANC. And in our own lives, to keep it simple, we'll divide it into two general categories. There's our inner faculties, what's going on in our mind and heart. And there is the way we conduct ourselves, the way we actually act, the way we speak, and even what we decide to think about. Not the thoughts that drop into our head, but our conscious thinking. We learned about this in chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 3 of the Tanya described how we made up of 10 inner faculties, the three steps of um, uh, understanding, and then the seven emotions. But in summary, chapter 3 described the, what's going on inside of us, our inner being, our mind and heart. That's one side to us, what's going on in the inside. In chapter 4 of the Tanya, described the garments, the way we act. These are two different departments that exist within us. And it's possible that the animal soul will be the driver, the leader of our mind and heart, how we feel. Yet, the godly soul will be the driver in how we act. And that will be the Bainani, which is the hero of the Tanya. Let's go back a step. I just mentioned chapters 1 through 8 describe the two souls, the anatomy of, of the Jew, and chapter 9 through 12 describe the battle of the souls. Well, more specifically, chapter 9 describes that there is a battlefield. Chapter 10 describes the life of a tzaddik. We had a class dedicated to that. And the tzaddik is somebody who has reached a point that the godly soul drives all departments of himself. Meaning that every feeling in his heart is only driven by the godly soul, by doing the right thing. He only desires good. He has no desire whatsoever for anything that's of personal or selfish interests. It's just simply not about me. In other words, the tzaddik is somebody that not only does the right thing, he only desires the right thing. And that is a very high achievement. And there are only few such tzaddikim in the world. Meaning, it's one thing to do the right thing, but to only desire that which is right. As regular human beings, we don't, we're not on that level. We're not on a level where we only want <coughs> that which is right. And that we don't have any personal desire. And an example of this is in relationships. For most of us, a relationship involves two directions. Meaning that in a relationship we both should have personal benefit. There should be the selfish dimension. Meaning there's how it's good for me, how I like it. And then there's also the selfless dimension. There's how I'm able to just give and care for the other person. 
for the regular person, you need both dimensions. It's not a healthy relationship if it's only going in one direction. The tzaddik is on such a different plane where actually every element of even his relationships are all just about what's for the good of the other person. Which we shouldn't fool ourselves. If we're not a tzaddik, then that could be a, a dangerous approach. But it's just an example of how the tzaddik is on such a level where every emotion in his heart is ultimately not about himself. And, and, and that's, again, a high level. And why does the Tanya even tell us about it? <coughs> we discussed this a little bit two classes ago when we spoke about the tzaddik, how we still should strive to a space of a tzaddik of only wanting to do the right thing. There's a lot more that we spoke about the tzaddik, but this is just a, a quick recap. And that was chapter 10. Chapter 11, we described the Russia. The Russia is somebody who has the animal soul as the leader, as the driver, as the boss of both departments, meaning not only does the animal or the selfish side to him motivate how he feels, but also how he acts. The moment we do the wrong thing, it means that we've given control to the animal within us to decide how we conduct ourselves. It's a moment of failure. Because when we do do the wrong thing, we undermine everything that we're trying to achieve. We're trying to bring good into the world, good into ourselves. We're trying to connect with Hashem. And at a moment of sin, we do the exact opposite. We damage our relationship with Hashem there's always a deep relationship but nonetheless we complicate our relationship with Hashem that we've become more desensitized to spirituality and it's now harder to speak there's, there was, there was a, just like in a relationship between people that if some person has wronged the other person it now makes things a little bit more complicated so we've hurt our relationship with Hashem and instead of bringing good into the world we've actually taken it a step back we've now caused the world to be a less godly place and, and not as good place, a place that has some more bad in it. So that's a moment of failure, which it's a journey. We shouldn't be too critical on ourselves either. But nonetheless, we don't really want that to ever happen. We don't really ever want there to be a moment where we actually do the wrong thing. We have free choice and we have responsibility for our actions. And if we, if we had our head on straight, we wouldn't allow the animal within us to be the driver of how we act. So in summary, the Russia, or a person becomes wicked the moment that they allow the negative or selfish drives within them to control not only how they feel, but also how they act. As long as you're feeling angry, or you're, you're really hurt, or... You think of somebody that's, and you really think of them on negative terms. So that's, we're human beings. You know? If somebody has just uh, caught, wronged me, then I can't necessarily control how I'll feel about them. But the moment that I do something that I should not be doing, it means that now at that moment, it's a wicked moment in that the animal has taken the driver's seat, not only in how I feel, but also in the way I'm conducting myself. That, in summary, was chapter 11, the Russia. Then we come to today's chapter, which is chapter 12, the Bainani. Anybody know what Bainani means? 
Good, in between. The book of the Tanya is also referred to as the book of the Bainani, the book of the in-betweener. The Bainani is in between the Tzaddik and the Rasha. In some ways he's like the Tzaddik and in some ways he's like the Rasha. In his performance, he's like the Tzaddik. Meaning, the Bainani is somebody who would never allow for even a moment the animal within him to cause him to do the wrong thing. Which means that to be a Bainani is a huge achievement. While we strive to be a tzaddik, Hasidim would say if we were only just on the level of a Bainani. <coughs> Talking about myself, all of you, I'm sure you're, uh, you're perhaps uh, uh, at a Bainani and already um, aspiring to be a tzaddik, but for me, for me myself, if I was able to achieve becoming a Bainani, that would be incredible. Meaning, if I was able to achieve that my conduct was just like that of a tzaddik. That everything that I do is dictated and, and directed by the, the godly voice within me. If I was able to achieve that, I would be not a tzaddik, because I still have, we'll get to that in a moment, another side, another dimension to me, which is not all that great. But I would be like a tzaddik, in that I'm only doing the right thing. To the outsider... There's no way in knowing if a person is a Bainani or a Tzaddik. Because we only see how a person conducts themselves. So it's possible that the person is actually a Tzaddik and it's, actually, and it's possible that he's a Bainani. So then what makes the Bainani different from the Tzaddik? It's just like the Tzaddik in that the Godly soul directs exactly how, everything about how he conducts himself. So how is he like the Russia? Or I would say, even his thoughts, he has somewhat of ta- a, a handle on his thoughts, conscious thinking, that's already considered somewhat of control, but in his feelings more specifically. Or in his more passive thoughts, not the active thoughts. We're not going to get into detail in that at this moment, because it's, it's a complicated one which comes up again and again. Understanding thought. Thought is somewhat of a bridge between performance and feeling. Because a feeling you can't change but a thought you can change. You could decide what to think about. So thoughts are somewhat like action, but they're very close to feelings. So thoughts is a complicated one. But the Benoni is somebody who is like the Russia in that he sees the guy and he actually feels like, I want to kill the guy for what he's done. And, and like he could really be like a Russia in his heart. He could really feel angry and destructive and dangerous. He, he could really be, have evil feelings. Yet, he only allows the selfish side to him, the animal side, to control how he's feeling, and he doesn't allow the animal within him to control how he acts. So as angry as he might be feeling, as, 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 as negative as his feelings may be, when it comes to action, he, he insists that the godly soul be in control and he only does the right thing. So you could have two people that are doing exactly the same thing, but... Inside, they're in a world of a different space. The tzaddik is somebody who is in this world of bliss. He's, uh, the tzaddik is already only desiring the right thing. It's, it's, uh, the tzaddik is, if only we were able to, to, to be a tzaddik. The Benini, on the other hand, has real negative feelings, which perhaps he should, ad- not perhaps, he needs to address them. He needs to work on them. <clears throat> Even if he's not going to be a tzaddik, it might be meeting with a psychologist and saying, you know, this is how I'm feeling and how do I go forward? Speaking to a close friend, 
negative emotions are not a good thing and they should be addressed, but they can't necessarily be changed overnight. It could take months or years to be able to work through a hard feeling that a person has, whether it's to a fellow or it's to God. So you could have a Bainani who looks like a tzaddik that's angry at God because anger is a feeling. You could be angry at God yet only doing the right thing. This is the name of the Tanya. The Tanya is called the book for Bainani because the Tanya teaches, starting from here in chapter 12 and we'll speak more about it next week in chapter 13, 14, the Tanya guides us how with immediate effect we can become a Bainani. It's called the book of the Bainanim. A free translation is it's like the book for the average guy. He's, he's neither a saint, neither is he evil, he's somewhere in between. But we've redefined the lexicon that now we see that to be a Russia or not to be a Russia is already a huge achievement because a Russia is the moment that we actually bring ourselves to sin in even the smallest area. It could be a slight sin, but at that moment we failed. And the Benedi is somebody who, it's a huge achievement where the person actually has allowed that only the godly soul <coughs> controls how he acts. He only does the right thing. But yet he's far from a tzaddik. He still very much desires the wrong thing. So this is a very achievable space to be in. It also sounds like it's a tough space to be in. Because if we spoke about a holistic relationship with Hashem, then it doesn't sound very healthy to on the one hand be angry with Him, but at the same time still be uh, only doing the right thing. The same thing with a fellow, another person. It, do- it doesn't sound like it's a healthy space to be angry at somebody, yet only being kind towards them. It would be ideal if we were able to completely remove it, that feeling of anger. Is it even possible? I- I'm kind of talking in circles, but it's life, because we're kind of analyzing this. Is it possible, if I'm really angry at somebody, to actually only treat them the right way? Sometimes it feels impossible, but it is possible. But we need tools for that. Chapter 12 of the Tanya gives us three powerful tools that empower us to be able to do the right thing even when we don't feel like it. In other words, that enable us to become a Bainani. There was a particular youngster, today he's a Chabad rabbi, his name is Rabbi Yossi Denberg. And he lived in Montreal, he was 12 years old. And he had a guest, the veteran Chassid Reb Nisan Nebunov. Reb Nisan Nebunov was a spiritual mentor and teacher in a yeshiva in France in a little town called Brunois. And he was told to be a Benini. And that's quite a title. Really on a different level, this, this Reb Nisan. And this Reb Nisan Nebunov was spending some time in Montreal and he was staying at the Denberg's house. And uh, he was sharing a room with this youngster, Yossi Denberg. He was 12 at the time. And uh, Yossi turns to Reb Nissen with the innocence of a child and he asked him, in today's generation, is it really possible to be a Benini? You know, we think back maybe in the shtetl, but with everything going, around us, going on around us today, is that even possible? Is it possible to be a Benini? 
Tanya describes a Benini as somebody who doesn't do anything wrong and is in such a space that he feels like he never did something wrong and never would do something wrong. Meaning, doing the wrong thing is completely out of the question. What's going on is in his heart, that's a different story. He may have the most evil of thoughts and desires. But the act of sin, whether it's between him and God, or between him and his friend, is completely out of the question. And so this, Rav Yassi, this little Yassi Denberg asked Rav Nissen, in today's generation, is it really possible to be a Benedi? And Rav Nissen responded by asking him, can you for one minute not do the wrong thing? One minute, not sin. He said, sure. How about one minute that you don't say the wrong thing? One minute, no problem. How about one minute to not think an inappropriate thought? So I said thoughts are complicated. Just to address it briefly, there are the thoughts that fall into our heads and then there's conscious thinking. So the thoughts that fall into our head are not in our control. But conscious thinking is, meaning that once a thought enters our mind and then we think about our thoughts, then we have the choice whether to choose to think about something else or to uh, consciously continue to think about this. So Rav Nesan asked him, can you for one minute not have any inappropriate thoughts consciously? He said, for one minute? I think for one minute I can control my thoughts not to have an inappropriate thought. So he said, what's life after all? Life is one minute, and then another minute, and then another minute. So what's the big deal to be a vanity? You could be a vanity this minute, and then uh, in one minute's time, you'll be a vanity for another minute. And so minute by minute, we could become a vanity. That's the beauty of the vanity, that it doesn't require any preliminary work. It doesn't require us to first reach a certain spiritual level or a certain level of refinement at any given moment we have the ability to be a vanity at this given moment but that said it's hard and therefore the tanya gives us three tools what are the three tools prayer mind over heart and light over darkness these are three powerful tools that we could have in our spiritual toolkit that can empower us at any given moment to be a Bedini. Let's break it down. The first is prayer. We described how the Bedini in his heart may have very negative feelings. He may desire the worst of sins. He may be craving that um, uh, cheeseburger to keep things light if that's in food or in relationships it could, it could be terrible there's no need for me to elaborate you could be having the most inappropriate uh, desires in his heart yet despite his desires he still does the right thing although the animal within him is very much controlling how he's feeling the godly soul is controlling how he conducts himself <coughs> Yet, the Benini that is in that very tough space does have a moment of bliss, and that's when he prays. When a person is able to enter into the world 
of prayer, then they're able to discover a blissful space of only desiring the right thing. They're able to take a break for a moment from their selfish drives and be able to just get in touch with the desire of the neshama to want to just connect with Hashem and only do the right thing. Meaning, even the Bainani that, generally speaking, has very negative feelings, is able to enter into a space of only positive feelings. And that is very much necessary. We can't, maybe like a simple example of this, is just the simple idea of going on holiday. Why don't we just work 354 days a year and, 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 and why, why take a break if we're only doing good things? Because sometimes we need to go out into the wild, whether it's to the Kruger or it's to the, to, to the ocean, and just be able to be in a very relaxed, peaceful space that is somewhat detached from the day-to-day challenges that can very much pull us down. We need to give ourselves a holiday. It's necessary. A holiday isn't um, a uh, moment that we give up on our ideals. On the contrary, it's a moment that we charge ourselves, we put ourselves into a good positive space so that we uh, have the strength to go forward. That's in very, very simple terms why we all need a holiday from time to time. Our neshama also needs a holiday. On a day-to-day basis, the world around us challenges us with so many challenges and difficulties in our mind and heart that we need to have a moment in the day, in the week, in the year, where we're able to enter into the world of prayer, where we're able to just pour out our heart to Hashem and feel like I'm in a very safe space, in a very positive space, in a very tranquil space. Why do I say a moment in the day, in the week, in the year? Because there's all of that. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is a time of year that we enter into the world of prayer. But that's kind of like your December holidays. It's (laughs) once a year. You can't uh, every day be in a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur space. We can't wait till, uh, till the end of the year. We need it more frequently. We can't just have our December holidays that we have on a weekly basis. We have uh, Shabbos. Shabbos is a time where not only don't we go to work, but we're able to, again, spend a little bit more time on davening. The reason that davening is longer on Shabbos is because we have more time for it. We don't need to go to work. And the rabbis weren't doing us a disservice or making such a long davening on Shabbos. Why does it need to be so long? It's, they're giving us more of a holiday for the Shabbat, more time for the Shabbat to be able to just plug into a space of only desiring the right thing. And then on a daily basis in the morning, a challenge is when we wake up in the morning to give us that positive space on a daily basis before we go out to work where we're able to enter into a tzaddik-like space. So the Bainani, when he davens, is like a tzaddik, except that it's only while he davens. The tzaddik is permanently in a space where every desire of his heart is only positive and is only in a good space. The Bainani is able to achieve that for a few moments while he davens and then he goes back into the, the tough world out there. Now, what good is it if 
in a few minutes I'm going to be back in the, in the tech world out there. Or back to our analogy, you know, we're all excited, we've just had a break, we've gone on holiday, and then suddenly you're back at work, and it's only like a day later, and you wonder, like, was there any points of me even being on holiday? It's almost like it never happened. But hopefully, back at work, you could kind of space out for a moment and just picture yourself back, you know, sitting in the wilds or on the mountains or on the sea and connect with that experience that you don't have now, but you had then. And then that will give you the strength now to go forward. Just a moment. The same goes for the Bainani. After davening, it's lost. You don't feel that same blissful space. But you're able to remember how I was in that space. And although now I'm not in that space, reconnecting with that davening moment that I had later in the day can give me the strength to pull through, not in how I'm feeling, but in the way I act. Meaning, if right now I feel like I'm so angry at the guy that I want to just, you know, uh, whatever it is, puncture his tires, and I actually, that's it, I'm going. I've got my puncture thing, and I'm going to puncture his tires because he deserves no less. And then I'm able to think back, wait a moment, while I was davening, I thought, like, really, he's, he, he too is a good person, and he's just been overcome by doing the wrong thing, but ultimately... He too has good within him. So although right now I'm like really angry and I just want to puncture his thighs, I remember while I was davening how I had a good perspective of him. Now I have a bad perspective of him. I, I do. I really have a negative space. But I remember while I was davening that I had a good one and therefore I won't puncture his thighs. And the same thing in our relationship with Hashem. While I was davening, I just wanted to do the mitzvah. I didn't want to sin. I didn't want to do something that God says I'm not allowed to do. Right now I don't feel that same feeling. Right now I do feel like sin. But just remembering how that positive space, that relationship that I experienced while I was davening, that gives me now the strength that, you know what? I'll ensure that although the animal is a driver of my mind and heart, I'll ensure that the godly soul continues to be the driver of my actions. You had a question. So you're um, taking for granted, I think, that blissful space of connecting to Hashem through davening. Many of us have a huge Oh, even getting that blissful space, even for a moment, but davening is hard. Yeah, it's true. Davening is called uh, uh, avodah satvila, avodat which means the work of davening. So when you go to davening, you also go to work. We'll speak more about davening. We can't cover everything in one shot, but it is achievable. It, it may be difficult, but that shouldn't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't close the door to davening. We shouldn't close the door to look to try to achieve that blissful space. We should uh, keep at it. And it's something that we can achieve. And we'll speak more about it another time. Please, God. That was tool number one. I see that we're out of time. So I'll touch on tool number two and three briefly. A big principle in Hasidus, adding to our Hasidic lexicon, is Mayach Shalit Al Halev, which means that the mind can control the heart in every situation. This is a very powerful Hasidic adage which has multiple layers of meaning, but on a basic level it means that we've got to remind ourselves that however we feel at any moment, we still can control how we act, which is the basic concept of free choice and accountability. You know, if, 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 if the robber is standing in court 
and he says to the judge, you know, judge, I just, I could, I re- actually, I lost control. I, I, I really desired that car, and that was it. I just, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I really desired the car, so I, so I robbed the car. I, I, my heart was burning so st- with such passion that I didn't even have the ability not to rob the car. That wouldn't go down, that argument. Why? Because as human beings at any given moment, as long as we're not in a, uh, a literally mentally ill space, which unfortunately can happen, but generally speaking, we're not in that space, at any given moment, we have the ability to say that, yes, I may be craving that car, but I still can control how I conduct myself. So this is a very important principle to remember, that no matter how strong we feel, our mind can always take control. It's okay to have the animal controlling your feelings. But it's not okay to have the animal control how you act. So remember, however you feel, the mind can control the heart. So would you call that discipline? Yeah, mental discipline. On a deeper level, we'll learn later how the mind can not only control us against the desires of our heart, but the mind can also control how we feel. But that's a much higher achievement. At a basic level, Bayak Shalit Alalev means uh, that we have the discipline, despite how we feel, to do the right thing. There's a famous story of a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, and I'll conclude with this. His name was Remoshe Meislish. He lived in Bilda, and he was a master of languages. He knew many languages, German, Russian, Polish, French, he was very intelligent, and the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, actually suggested that he should connect with the French um, leaders, politicians, and his ability in so many languages would actually uh, perhaps be of benefit to them. And that's what happened. He, he started hanging out with these French politicians, and with time, he, uh, they brought him into the office, and uh, he was in the, the intelligence, in, 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 the, in the head office of the French army. He was around. He was a chassid and he was around. But yeah, he, by here, one day, suddenly the door smacks open. The guys draw their rifles. They think that the Russians have just, uh, you know, taken over. But it's, it's not the Russians. It's Napoleon himself. And just to picture the room, there's maps on the floor. And they've now spent a few days trying to strategize how the French are going to overtake the Russians. True story. And they've been debating it. Should we attack from this side? Should we attack from that side? And Napoleon himself runs into the room. And he says that, have you reached a decision yet? And then he looks up and he says, what's this foreigner doing in our midst? And he looks at Ramosha Maislish and he says, you are a spy. Which was true. I didn't mention this, but the Alter Rebbe was on the side of the Russians at the time. Russians back then is not the same as Russians today. And he, uh, Ramosha Maislish was actually giving whatever um, information he got from the French. He was going back to the Russians and he was sharing all that information. And Napoleon himself walks into the room and he turns to Ramosha and he says, you are a spy. And he runs over to Ramosha 
and he puts his hand on his heart to feel it, to see if it's pumping. And it wasn't pumping differently. It was pumping just like everybody else. And he said, no, not at all. I'm just an interpreter. I'm here just to help translate with languages. And that was that. Napoleon realized he's obviously not a spy, although he was. And uh, it saved his life. Obviously, had Napoleon caught him at that moment, he would have definitely been put to death. Would have been probably killed on the spot. Um, so Ramesha related how this Hasidic adage of mind over heart changed his life. He'd be, he was able to implement it to such an extent that he had such discipline of mind at that moment, which is a huge achievement, which we probably wouldn't be able to achieve, that he said to himself, you know, this is how I need to be right now. This is the space I need to be in. And he actually controlled how his heart pumped in the most literal sense, and it saved his life. So at any challenging moment where we feel like we can't, if we remember that we have the power of mind over heart, that is tool number two of the three tools of our toolkit that empower us to be a Bainani at any given moment. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you.